Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Garforth Education Podcast. My name is Dr. Katherine Garforth, and I am very excited to be here today to talk about creating positive parent-teacher relationships on the Garforth Education Podcast, because I feel this is essential, especially when we are looking at students with exceptionalities or those who are neurodiverse, because this is when we can see the tension arise. If you are in parent Facebook groups, you often hear problems about teachers. And then in the staff room, you might hear about problems about parents uh, or that parent that no teacher wants to have come to their classroom in, in the new year. And, uh, you know, I've been advocating for decades uh, now as a self-advocate and advocating for individuals with learning disabilities and other exceptionalities. And over the years, I've learned many things as an advocate, but it wasn't until I became a parent that I, I realized how the parent perspective really changes. And in this episode, I definitely want to consider the different things from the parent perspective, from the school's perspective, and how we can work towards the common goal of supporting our students uh, and each individual student based on their needs. Now, it's important to know that when we establish a positive parent-teacher relationship, it can improve the student's or the child's academic outcomes, their social, emotional well-being, and how things are going at school. And it's especially important when we're talking about students with neurodiversities. And by that, I mean that they may have a specific learning disorder, they may have a high incidence uh, disability such as uh, ADHD, I think considered, autism is considered a high incidence now, and learning disabilities or a lower incidence when we're looking at Down syndrome or a, a medical issue that needs to be met. There's also a psychological things to come into consideration when we're talking about anxiety and school refusal. So I want to take a few moments to recognize the parent perspective, because it's important to recognize that we are talking about a parent's child here, and they are very defensive. I do have a shirt that says, hello, my name is that parent, because I can be a fierce advocate for my children and their needs seeing that they have various neurodiversities. And through my process, I guess I've been in the public school system for six years as a parent now, I've learned some tricks and trips along the way, but I also recognize the perspective as a parent who has a child with neurodiversities um, and uh, medical issues that aren't quite as common and I understand what it's like to to go in to the school and you know go in to talk about your child and their their needs and have the the educators not even understand what the diagnosis is and what it means 
So we need to recognize that it, it, it may happen, it does happen, and we don't want to set things off on the wrong foot. So as a parent, you obviously have to be your child's biggest advocate. You have to recognize that you had the long-term perspective and it's very difficult to take emotion out of the equation when you are talking about your child and what they need. And many parents will learn as much as they possibly can about their child's unique needs to try and become that strong advocate. And as a parent, that's amazing. I definitely encourage that 100%. You need to be the expert on your child and their diagnoses. I've actually even created courses to help parent support or learn about how to understand their child's um, psychoeducational assessment and how to become that fierce advocate in the IEP meetings. But we also need to recognize that there are other perspectives that can be taken, and we will look at those in a moment. Uh, the other thing that parents often feel when I speak to them is that the school needs to do more than they're currently doing for their child. And that may be the case. But as we'll see when we look at the school perspective, there are other things that as a parent we need to consider in our advocacy role. So the school has typically hundreds of students and your child is only one of the students of those hundreds of students. So if we are being realistic, there's only so much time and effort that can be put into one child and recognizing that this one child is not the only individual with neurodiversities or dealing with some mental health issues and recognizing that the educators are there to support your child, but they only have so much time. And the school wants to find a way to make the child fit in with how things are done within the school. And we need to recognize that that is the ultimate goal if you want your child to attend a, in a school system instead of doing homeschooling. The child is going to have to find a way to make things work in the school system. And I also believe that definitely through my own experience and advocacy, the public school system is not necessarily the right place for all students individuals because of the diverse needs. So we need to be cognizant of the fact that it may not be the best place for the student at the time, even though the school system is designed to help all students uh, reach their best or should be. Uh, and, you know, if you're an educator in the position of the school, it's very easy to um feel that, the, you know, the parent doesn't really understand the bigger picture. And while they may not understand the bigger picture within the school circumstance, they are thinking about the bigger picture for their child. And 
that again is very emotional for them, especially if we're looking in a situation where there is a parent that had a negative experience within the school system. You know, when we're talking about students or who families that have a First Nations um, heritage or, or past, we're looking at residential schools and the negative uh, effects and long-term lasting effects that they have placed on individuals about the school system and the abuse that can occur within the school system. And it can be very hard for, for parents to get past that and willing to send their child to school, recognizing that it's not the same today it was it was in that time and not having that underlying fear. Now, so having their child in this situation and having to advocate for their child can, you know, rip open old scars and make it difficult for them to deal with everything going around. Now, the other thing that I often um, see schools do, and rightly so in most cases, but that they know more about education. Now, this is very difficult when you are an advocate uh, with a, an education background, but for the vast majority of parents, they are helping or they are trying to help their child and they don't have that educational background. Now, there is one thing that we also need to consider, and that is the reality of today's public school systems. Our public schools are very often overcrowded, underfunded, and understaffed. So even though they would love to move mountains for your child, the reality is they likely don't have the staff available to support students that really need it to the extent that they need it. Uh, they likely have more students than they should be within their school. Or if it's the case that it, the school doesn't have a lot of students, then they need to make do with what they have because of the number of individuals found within the school. Now, underfunding comes into play, especially when we're looking at the resources that are available in materials and also the, you know, the individuals working at the school. You know, when we're talking about specialists, when we're talking about speech and language pathologists or occupational therapists, physical therapists, and resource teachers, school psychologists, these individuals have huge caseloads and <laughs> they are typically only able to help the students with the biggest need. And even though there are students that have a need for their services, they don't have the time to help students that struggle a little bit with pronunciation and mix up some of their speech sounds. They don't have the time to help really focus on those fine motor skill developments and the kids that are struggling in those areas because they have to work on students with the students that are struggling to feed themselves and toilet themselves. That's the reality, you know, and when we're looking at students that get educational assistance uh, assigned to them, 
they are the ones that have the highest need. They are the ones that are the behaviorists, that are the flight risks, or the ones that need support with daily tasks. So this is difficult because even though your child may be entitled to certain supports, the school is not able to provide them to your child because they're just simply isn't the time, even though they understand the need and know that your child would benefit from receiving the supports. For example, when we're looking at students who have a specific learning disorder in reading, a common area of difficulty is phonological awareness or phonemic awareness, and that's the awareness of speech sounds within the spoken language. And English is a morphophonemic language and our spelling system is based partly on how words sound. So if a student struggles with hearing the sounds within the words and producing those sounds, it's going to likely affect their ability to read and spell words just because of their perception. Now, the speech and language pathologist is the person that is trained in this and can help facilitate a student's time with this. But when we're looking at something like specific learning disabilities, you know, estimates are between 10, 15, or even 20% of the school population. So if we're saying 10% of the school population has a specific learning disorder in reading and they struggle with phonological awareness and phonemic awareness, it's not realistic for the school a speech and language pathologist to work with every one of those students individually to help support them. But it's also understanding that there are things that the classroom teacher can do and the resource teacher can do to help support that phonemic awareness. Now, the speech and language pathologist is going to be working with those students who struggle with even you know, producing the sounds in spoken language, articulating the words clearly in an understandable manner, and students who struggle with uh, stutters. There are other things when it comes to occupational therapists and students who struggle with handwriting and pencil grip, we're seeing that a lot these days, especially with students who or children who have been raised in this technological age where they are using um, tablets and iPhone or phones, smartphones to play games. And they're not getting that same development of the fine motor muscles in their hands that are going to help facilitate writing. And so learning how to write and writing legibly is difficult. Uh, even using scissors and cutting things out or uh, doing different art, art projects can be very difficult for these students. Now, this is where an occupational therapist could come in and help give activities and resources to help strengthen those hand muscles. But the reality is their time needs to be spent on individuals that are struggling with feeding and you know some more of those fine motor and gross motor skills that occupational therapists are really specialized in and again it's a matter of recognizing the individuals that need the support the most are the ones that are going to likely get it and schools just don't have the resources for every student 
who could benefit from a certain um, activity or a certain specialist to get that individual. And we also see this when it comes to working with the, the school counselors and psychologists. You know, there are tragedies and losses every single day. And we need to recognize that there is probably a student that lost a family member in any given week or um, had some traumatic event that made a big impact in their life, but recognizing that unfortunately they get seeing the, the school counselor is not always realistic for them, especially if they appear to be coping well enough at school. The, the counselor is going to be working with the kids that are having serious mental health issues, uh, school refusal, and anxiety issues if they can. They're often spread between a couple different schools and only have so many hours to meet the needs of individual students, especially when they also do deliver some curricular content for teachers sorry, for the students within the school, helping them understand things about relationships. The other, the, the last thing that we need to look at or consider when we're talking about today's schools is that teachers are amazing individuals that come from a variety of different backgrounds. But because of this variety of experiences, they have, they may not have the expertise in your child's specific needs. And that's okay, especially if they are willing to learn and have individuals to speak to at the school professionally. But we also have to recognize that they often have the autonomy in their classroom to decide how things are done overall. And individuals like the principal, the vice principal, counselors, and any expertise um, that you bring in to the situation is um, suggestions, but it's, uh, you know, in some places in the United States, there are legal requirements, but in other places, it's a suggestion is a suggestion and it is that, and we cannot hold them to delivering instruction in a certain matter. We also need to consider the other uh, 20 or so individuals within the classroom that do have their own unique needs as well. So recognizing that teachers may not have the expertise in your child's specific needs. And if you approach them in, in a combative way, where it's like, I know more than you, uh, they are not going to respond well to that because they're going to have their, their heckles up. They're like, oh, wait a minute. You know what? <laughs> I'm actually a teacher. I, I, I know how to teach students and you're just a parent. And that can be uh, difficult, but we need to find a way to make it so that we can approach the issue in a positive manner. And it is possible when we consider a few different things. Now, one thing that I think is amazing is a parent's devotion to their child. And 
understanding that there are parents that will move mountains and read absolutely everything they can possibly find on a diagnosis that their child has. And they do a lot of work to understand that, especially if we're looking at one of the lower incidence exceptionalities. And the reality is that the parent will likely have more expertise about that condition than the, the classroom teacher or other uh, educators within the school. But it's understanding how to share that expertise in a respectful manner and understanding that it's okay if they don't have all memberships to all the groups that you have and have the same knowledge as long as they're willing to listen to you and your expertise. And one thing I, I wanted to mention just on a personal note is that as a parent, I do have um, a child that has uh, some medical issues that aren't very common. And I remember seeing a specialist and talking about one of these and they said, you know what, I, I, I've heard of it. Uh, I know it exists, but I don't really know much about it. And what I find is in the situations where we're looking at these lower incidence things, it's actually the parents that are the experts. So why don't you tell me what this means for your child? And I found that very respectful and very comforting. And I, I was very appreciative of that specialist who is, I think he was the head of his department at an institution and him understanding that, you know what, I this parent in front of me is very concerned about their child's health and wellness. And there's this condition that's pretty rare. Not many people know that much about it. Uh, and I don't know. So I'm going to, I'm going to give the, the parent the time to tell me what it means and what it means for their child. Other things we need to consider is that teachers get into the profession because they want to help children learn. And I promise you, they are doing their best to support your child and find ways to make sure that your child gets the learning that they need to succeed but they also have their own lives outside of school hours and there's only so much professional development they can do at any one time. And in some cases, what how they were trained is actually contradictory to what is considered best practices for supporting the child uh, in the matter or they may just not have had any training on the subject when we're looking at lower incidence issues. So we need to be in a position as educators willing to listen and try and support the, ch the child and the family in a way that is meaningful and respectful to their knowledge while making sure that we're still being respected. Uh, and one that's very difficult for parents and teachers to consider and recognize is that children can behave very differently at home and at school. And recognizing the change in maturity that can happen over the summer 
or school breaks. So how your how the child was at the end of one school year to how they are at the beginning of the next school year can be very different. And we we have to recognize that that there needs to be that adjustment period to see how the new setting and situation is going to come into play and how that's going to work. It's important to recognize that there are many factors that come into play when it's trying to find success for each individual in the classroom, the teacher, and the students. We need to go as a united front, put our feelings aside, and try and find some commonalities, being willing to listen to each other, having experienced various different positive and negative relationships, uh, both as an educator and as, as a parent, we need to try and do our best to make sure that we don't come in in a threatening manner. We are respectful of the other individual's opinions and recognize that we're working towards the common goal of supporting students. So everybody has to go in with the idea that they're gonna be willing to listen to the other individual in the setting and recognizing that this is going to help make it so we can really support that nurturing relationship so we can have the united friend so the child recognizes that the school is working with the family to try and do what's best for them and when that happens that's when we're going to see the biggest difference especially when it comes to actually having the proof being in the pudding so how are the parents talking about the school at home when they're talking with their child about how things are going how is the school talking about the parents to the child having that positive relationship and putting on that brave face recognizing that we are trying to do what's best for the child and there are ways that we can help support that now i hope you've enjoyed this episode there's definitely other aspects to do a deeper dive into to help understand how we can create that solid foundation and great support team for your child. As a, a parent, I am very grateful because currently at school, I have a, a great support system for my, my children. And it's uh, coming from a very respectful space where we can have open conversations. We've got great emails going around with the, the school-based team members for the children's needs. And I recognize that I can go and talk to the school with any issues that I'm having and feel like I'm being listened to and respected and also recognize that I can't place too many demands on the school, realizing that yes, there is the gold standard of what could be for my children, but that the school's doing their absolute best to give my child what they need.
Now, I hope you've enjoyed the episode. If you have, please make sure that you like, share, comment, and subscribe. And feel free to post any questions below. I'd be happy to answer them in the future. Make sure you take a moment to like and follow Garforth Education on social media. And you can see more about the podcast at garfortheducation.com forward slash podcast. And as a final thing, I'd like to invite anyone who is listening to this episode live or as a recording, I do offer connection calls. And that is just an opportunity for you to set a time in my calendar and we can have a little chat about uh, your child or a, a student in your classroom and trying to find a, a way to support their needs better. I hope you had a great day and look forward to having you listen to one of our next episodes.